At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, A hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. Third graders, skip over to verse 22. For my people are foolish, they do not know me. They are stupid children, they have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void into the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, The whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. This is the word of the Lord. Think of someone you know who just graduated from high school and imagine that young woman or young man having courage and the conviction that God had just called her or him to go charging into the royal palace to tell the king he needed to lead the people in a different direction. Jeremiah was only 18 years old when he charged into the face of King Josiah and said, you must lead us in a different direction, or the same fate that befell the ten northern tribes 95 years ago will befall us as well. He kept trying for 40 years. From the time he was 18 until he was 58, and when he was 58, all he could do was stand and watch as the Babylonians came over the walls, burned the gates off the hinges, tumbled down the walls, ransacked Solomon's magnificent temple and the royal palace, and set fire to the whole city. Let's take a look at today's lection. Number one, it says this is going to be a hot wind, a hot wind that comes from the south and east into Israel. Now, they like winds that come off the Mediterranean from the west. If they come right off the Mediterranean Sea, they're usually nice and refreshing and might even bring rain. But winds that come from the southeast come from Saudi Arabia, and it's hot, blistering wind. Now, wind could be very helpful to farmers when they would harvest their grain from the fields. They would put it on a hard place some packed down soil usually, and have a little track, track, track around so that he was gradually breaking down the kernels of wheat so that the grains could fall out. And they would scoop up with a big flat plan and throw all of this up into the air. And if it was a nice breeze from the Mediterranean, it would blow away the chaff, the husks, and the heavier grain would fall back into the pan. But this wind was far too strong for that. Instead, if one had thrown up wheat and chaff, this wind was so strong it would have blown all of it away. The good with the bad. That's the first point Jeremiah is making today. Sometimes when the bad happens to people who've made bad decisions, sometimes even good people are hurt as well. You may not have ever seen a Hasidic Jew 
Hasidic Jews are dressed all in black as a rule, and the men let the hair right in front of their ears grow a little longer, and they actually curl the locks right there, the little forelocks they're called. They're very conservative Jews. The men are supposed to study God's Word every day. And sometimes when they've studied God's Word and they read something that doesn't quite seem to agree with something else in God's Word, they sometimes make up their own stories as to how that might be the case. I'll give you an example. These Hasidic Jews were thrilled that God loved them enough that he would send Moses back to face down Pharaoh. Pharaoh was king of Egypt, you remember, and he was such a strong and powerful man that he said, no, he wasn't going to let his slaves go. He was glad for them to work for him for free. But Moses called on God for help, and plague after plague came to Egypt, ten of them in all, until finally Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. And they all rushed away. But then the king decided he had made a big mistake. He needed all of those slaves. He wanted them to come back. So he sent his armies hurrying after the Israelites. They were gaining on the Israelites because the Israelites were old men and women and little children. And the Egyptians had chariots and fast horses. They were gaining on them when the people came to a place called the Sea of Reeds. And the Bible says God created a great wind that blew the waters back, left and right. The Israelites went through to the other side. And just as the Egyptians went down into the same trough, the waters all came back and all of them were killed. Now one Hasidic rabbi wrote, that the angels in heaven were jumping up and down. They were playing on their harps, singing and laughing that the Israelites were free and all the Egyptians had been destroyed until they heard someone sobbing. And they looked around to see that it was Almighty God. God was weeping and saying, So many mothers, sons, so many wives, husbands, so many children's fathers. Meaning, God loved Egyptians too. He loved Israelites, but he also loved Egyptians. And to see so many die because Pharaoh was a really bad person was not fair at all. Number two. Second thing we read here is about all of this desolation. It uses the word waste. Did you see that? Our scholars say, beginning over there with verse 23, that what Jeremiah is describing is how creation suddenly was uncreated. Things went back to the way they were before ever God made good things happen. God put the big light in the day, sun, the lesser light at night, the moon, and now it says they've gone. There are no stars in the heavens. The mountains are shaking. The hills are shaking. There's no one at all. All the birds have fled. The fruitful land has become a desert. The cities all in ruins. In May, my wife Gail and I were in New York and then in Washington, D.C. In Washington, we hoped to hear Dr. Ailey Wiesel again. He was being honored at a special dinner at the time we were there. We couldn't get tickets. Sold out. The next day, we hoped to hear him speak in the rotunda of our capital. Couldn't get tickets, every seat taken. 
But we were able to get tickets to be at the Holocaust Museum in a beautiful auditorium there with a big screen where all the proceedings from the rotunda were transmitted to us. We could sit there and watch. We got to hear Dr. Elie Wiesel one time right here in Tulsa. The University of Tulsa brought him to our city. And the next morning, I got to have breakfast with him. Dr. Wiesel's 80 years old now. But when he was a boy, 13, he was arrested just because he was a Jew by the Nazis. And he and his whole family were sent to a horrible concentration camp called Auschwitz. And after they were there for some time and all of Dr. Wiesel's family were dead except him and his father, suddenly our armies were getting closer and closer to try to bring that horrible war to an end. These terrible people at Auschwitz and a nearby camp called Birkenau could not gas and burn the Jews fast enough. So they started marching them through the snow. Can you imagine? It was a horribly cold winter, 1944 and into early 1945. You've had very little to eat for two long years, and now someone is making you walk through knee-deep snow from Tulsa all the way to Chicago. That's what they did to them. They marched them all the way from Auschwitz to a horrible place called Buchenwald. Dr. Wiesel was liberated there by our American armies from Buchenwald. He did not go back to the camps for 25 years. And then in 1979, he went back for the first time. And he said, as he walked the grounds of Auschwitz and Birkenau and then to Buchenwald, something was different. Something was different from the way he remembered it 25 years before. And suddenly he realized it was the birds. The birds had come back. He said, when these were death camps, all the birds had gone. And I remembered Jeremiah. Chaos. Bad, bad things. Let's go to number three. Twice in our reading, we heard this expression, my people my people. It literally says in Hebrew, my daughter. When Jeremiah was preaching, women had very few rights, sorry to say. It was mostly a man's world. And if a woman had no man, a husband or a father to help look after her, maybe a brother, she was in really deep trouble. So Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, are called my daughter in Hebrew. God's people now have no strong man to look after them, so to speak. The dreaded Babylonians are coming. Bad things are about to happen. And yet God still thinks of Judah and the people of Judah as being my daughters, my people. The other night I completed a book I'd been reading this fall, Eric Feldman had written several chapters in that book. Eric Feldman and his wife recently got transferred down to Keller, Texas. You Oklahomans may not know where that is. Keller is a little bitty town just north of Fort Worth that's gradually been sort of enveloped by that big metroplex. So it's not a bad place to live now at all. In fact, it's a very wealthy little community just on the north side of the city. But the bad thing about being transferred to Keller, Texas for the Feldmans was they have one little granddaughter who lives in New Hampshire. 
They were over 1,200 miles from this little granddaughter. And Eric says, my, my wife was just sure that before we could see her again, she would forget who we were. We finally had a date when her mom and dad were going to fly down to DFW airport and spend a weekend with us. But we had already been gone six months, and our little Ella was just coming up on her second birthday. My wife was convinced she will not know who we are. But we did the best we could. The last few Saturdays before they came, we went out and bought a new high chair. We looked for the perfect little sippy cup. We looked for books we were sure she would like to have read to her. We bought a couple of little stuffed toys that you could wind up and they would talk to you. We thought maybe she would like those. And that day they were to arrive, we went to Dallas-Fort Worth Airport and waited where we had to wait. We watched the big screens. We saw when it said their plane had arrived. We had both agreed that they had had a couple of plane changes. It had been hours and hours since they had left New Hampshire. Little Ella was going to be exhausted. We would not rush her. So we waited, and finally we saw them coming. Her mom and dad pushing her in a stroller. And we sort of stood back. We hugged the mom and dad. And then I saw my wife squat down at that stroller and say, Ella, do you remember me? I'm your grandma. And Eric said, she sort of wrinkled her nose, sort of funny-like, blinked a couple of times, and then stretched out her little hands. And my wife was radiant. I thought about that story when I read this, that God is saying, my people have forgotten me. They don't know me. I look down, and they don't lift their arms. They don't know me. Number four. But then Jeremiah says, did you notice the last sentence we read? But this will not be the full end. It may seem like the end, but it's not the end, this terrible thing that was about to happen to them when the Babylonians invaded their country. This is not the end. There is still hope. Because God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. And if we just turn to him, he will help us. One more story that Eric Feldman told. He said, I was pretty sure Ella was not going to forget us in six months because we had had a really good two weeks with her just before we moved. We had all gone, her mom and dad, my wife and I, her grandmother and I, and this little 15-month-old at that time had gone to a lake in New Hampshire for a two-week vacation. So here were just the five of us. It was a quiet, relaxing kind of place. All of us could focus on this precious child. Now, he said, at 15 months, you know what this is like. She's walking a little, not terribly steady yet. She's trying to say a few words, certainly not stringing sentences together or anything. But her grandmother and I discovered right off that she had learned one very important word. If one of these little wind-up toys that she loved ran down, she wasn't strong enough to crank it. And she would pick it up and bring it to one of us and say, Help! If her sippy cup ran dry, she would come to one of us and say, Help! He said, you know what it's like when you have a 15-month-old and they take a nap or they go to sleep at night 
You keep peeking in, peeking in. You want to be the first one to see them when they wake up. Well, he said one morning there on the lake, I woke up. I heard her in her room. I could tell she was stirring around in her bed. And I didn't hear any other noises. So I got up quietly, put on my robe, walked in. Surely enough, she was standing up in her bed. And I said, Ella, everybody else is still asleep. Why don't you and I go outside? She seemed to like that idea. So I picked her up. She wanted down. So I put her down. And she started toward the door. She got there as fast as she could walk, reached up her little chubby hand. It wouldn't reach the doorknob. And she looked around to see if I was right there. And then she said, help. That's all Jeremiah was asking. Would Judah please lift a hand to the Almighty and say, help me. Amen.